Welcome to Indie Game Business, where you'll learn to navigate the industry with ease. Indie Game Business is recorded live on Mixer and produced by the Powell Group. Check us out at IndieGame.Business. Now, let's start the show with your hosts, Jay Powell and me, Indy. What's up, everybody? My name is Indy, and that gentleman all the way over on the other side, way over there, that is Mr. Jay Powell from Powell Group Consulting. And in the middle, we have Steven from Night Dive Studios. And this is Indie Game Business. Welcome, Steven. Hey, Jay. It's good to be here. Oh, it's good to have you, dude. We love we love what you do. That's why we're here. So, um, yeah, as I said, this is going to be a a coronavirus special in some ways. Um, Stephen is CEO of Night Dive, a rather unique developer and publisher in the industry. They, uh, you're completely virtual, right? In terms of staff. Yeah, that's right. We've been completely remote since day one, and. Uh... Yeah, with somewhere around uh, 30 employees now, it's kind of spread across the world. So we're, we're going to talk about that and how you manage that. Uh, we're going to talk about, you know, you and all the stuff that you do. Y'all, y'all just relaunched, I guess is the right word, sin yesterday. So Stephen and, uh, and Larry, who's been on the show as well, they, uh, they travel the world searching down old IPs and then make the games, you know, playable again, and they release them and... Awesome. And then we're going to talk about the uh, the Indie Festival that y'all are hosting tonight as well. Cool. Yeah, that should be um, really fun. And it was just a spontaneous thing. As soon as we found out GDC was canceled, we were like, hey, let's just do this thing. And uh, of course, it ended up being way more work than I originally anticipated. But the, the end result is going to be um, probably pretty surprising to a lot of people. I mean, I'm with you. We just, this week was our fourth online business conference and we had to put it together in two weeks because we moved it up to be sooner than we thought it was. And so, yeah, the last, uh, last three weeks for here over here have been a bit busy as well. Uh, All right. So let's just start at the beginning. Tell us how you got into the industry and, and walk us through your career. Sure. Um, let's see. How many times have I told this story? And every time I, I get to embellish it a little bit more. So um, essentially, um, I was probably like one of the first wave of kids that went through uh, like the college system to learn game art and design. Uh, I was uh, living in Massachusetts um, from the age of 18 and uh, moved to San Francisco to go to the Art Institute of California, San Francisco, uh, where they had just started offering the game art and design uh, bachelor's uh, program. And so I went through that whole program in about three years, graduated in 2007. Uh, My first internship was with a mobile game company um, called Digital Chocolate, which was run by Trip Hawkins, which was kind of interesting. I remember them. Yeah, they were like on the forefront. This was before uh, iPhone. So, you know, if you had your flip phone, you could play digital chocolate games, which was kind of cool. I then moved to San Diego, and I got a job at an indie company called Paleo Interactive. Um, They had 
kind of gotten famous from a, a modification for Half-Life. Um, I totally forget what it's called, but uh, they decided they're, they were going to make a, their own game. And uh, they brought me on as like kind of a generalist. I did character art. I did uh, environment art. I did some animation. Uh, the notable thing about that studio was they were one of the only studios to ever license the Crytek engine. And so we had like one of the first outside studios besides Crytek that was using that, uh, that technology. So that was pretty challenging. Um, about midway through that production, I got offered a job at Sony Online Entertainment as a character artist. So I joined that team. Uh, I worked on an MMO called Free Realms. Uh, Star Wars Clone Wars Adventures and then finally uh, Planet Side 2 where I was uh, doing character art pretty much uh, night and day uh, it got to a point where <clears throat> I had kind of burned out creatively um, I had definitely achieved my goal of, of getting into the industry and working on games and, and doing some really fun stuff but I really uh, wasn't I guess enjoying the 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 cog in the wheel uh, role as much as I thought I would, and um, my my girlfriend at the time uh, was also working at Sony Online Entertainment as a character artist. We had actually met in college, and she had been in the system a little bit longer than I was, and decided that we needed to quit our jobs and pretty much pack everything up in our Honda Civic and drive across the border into Mexico. So, so that's what we did. For any particular reason or just because you should? Uh, to, to just travel the world, to see another country, to, uh, you know, uh, enjoy the sights, you know? Um, what's the word I'm looking for? You know, find some motivation, get inspired again, um, find that spark that, that made us want to be creative in the first place. Uh, traveling is, is definitely like the best medicine in terms of like writer's block. Um, you know, if you're creatively kind of bankrupt, if, if you're just burned out, you kind of need to go someplace new and allow your brain to just take in all kinds of new sights and sounds and, and experiences that you've never had before. Uh, in order to kind of replenish your your creative mojo, so to speak. So um, that wasn't something that I anticipated originally when we decided to do that trip, but it was like that was the that was the end result of all that. Um, but yeah, like I said, we we packed up a four door Honda Civic with pretty much everything that we owned, and we drove across the border into into Tijuana, and uh, we just kept driving. And uh, we went down um, the Baja Peninsula. Uh, we took a ferry over to the mainland, and we did the Copper Canyons, and we did um, the entire cotton, you know, the entire area of Mexico, um, all the way to the Yucatan Peninsula, and then down through Belize, uh, Nicaragua, Guatemala, El Salvador. Uh, we hit up every country in Central America, and then. Um, got to the Panama Canal, and we couldn't go any further. Uh, there's, like, no roads that go to um, South America um, that are safe anyways. So we ended up driving uh, pretty much all the way back 
uh, through Texas and back up to Washington. Uh, we were gone for about 10 months. We drove like 10,000 miles. Um, but the important thing is about halfway through the trip, uh, we were in Guatemala and there was like this dark and stormy night. They have some just amazing thunderstorms there. And I decided, you know what? Now is like the perfect time to play some of my old favorite games. So I brought this little netbook with us and I put all kinds of classic games on it, like um, Grim Fandango, Fallout 2, System Shock 2, um, what else? Full Throttle, Curse of Monkey Island, mostly LucasArts stuff. And uh, yeah, that night I was, I was like, I'm going to play System Shock 2. I haven't uh, played this game since, you know, 1999. I really want to revisit this. So I started to figure out how to get it to work. And I kept running into errors and, and issues of it, you know, not running on, I think it was like Windows 7 or I forget <laughs> what operating system it was. Um, but I went to GOG.com because I was like, oh, well, they'll, they'll have it. I mean, this is like one of the greatest games of all time. How could they not have this available? And uh, to my surprise, it was their number one most requested game. It had like 42,000 votes on their wishlist system at the time. Like, this, you got to be kidding me. Like, you can't play this game from 1999 on a, on a current computer? Like, what the hell is going on? So I spent the rest of that night just doing detective work and trying to figure out uh, what happened, where the rights were, what kind of technical hurdles would need to be overcome to get it to run. And uh, I pretty much just started shooting out emails to uh, various resources, people who uh, wrote articles about the history of System Shock, um, an insurance company in the Midwest who um, I discovered actually owned the rights to the franchise. And uh, a couple of days later, somebody emailed me back from that insurance company and said, uh, yeah, we got the rights. Do you want to make System Shock 3? <laughs> and at the time, I'm, you know, sitting in the middle of the jungle and everything I own is in a Civic. Uh, so I wasn't really in a position to, to take that on. But I suggested, well, why don't you guys re-release the original games on, you know, digital platforms? And uh, they got back to me right away and said, oh, you know, no one's ever proposed that before. Uh, sure. Here are the deal terms, like when you want to get started. Here, wait, and, they just sent you the deal terms, like off the bat? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Um, what a concept. <laughs> yeah, it was, you know, I look back on it now, and I've never had another deal that was like this. And you probably won't ever have another deal that's like that. <laughs> no, absolutely not. Um, a lot of this had to do with just pure luck, uh, right place, right time. Um, I know, like, one of the things you're going to ask me is about not having any um, business experience before this. And that really plays into this because I literally had no idea what I was doing. I didn't, you know, it was the first time I ever read a contract. Um, and I asked them a lot of questions and looking back on it, I must've sounded like I had no idea what I was doing. So I don't know why they can, you know, they trusted me with this property. It's very, very surprising. <laughs> well, because if they're an insurance company, they probably had no idea what they were doing either. And they saw, it's like, oh my God, somebody actually wants to make money off this thing that we randomly own. 
Yeah, and the the missing piece I wouldn't learn until um, much, much later was that right as I started talking to them, Electronic Arts, who owned the trademark to System Shock, let it lapse like that month because they couldn't make a deal with the insurance company to do anything with it. And, you know, they couldn't um, re-register it because they couldn't commercialize the product, anything that had to do with System Shock. So the trademark just goes dead if you can't sell anything that has that mark on it. And um, the insurance company was, was like, we need to find a way to sell something with System Shock on it that's a video game, and then we can acquire that trademark. And then, you know, this... 22 year old kid emails them and says hey you want to sell the originals and they're like sure so that was all going on in the background they were able to acquire the trademark and then kind of bring all the rights that they had together so it was it was lucky it's very lucky so i mean you're not alone in the fact that you had no business experience when you're doing this. I mean, that's, I was the very same way 20 years ago. I had an English literature degree and these two guys were like, yeah, you at least know what makes a good game. We'll teach you the rest. And they mm-hmm. did. And that's the reason we have this show is to, you know, hopefully find a way so that more people get to do this that aren't like me and you. So what, what were some of those first lessons that you learned just kind of being dropped into the business side of the industry? And how did you learn more? Was it just through experience or just what was it? Uh, the first thing that I did um, is I just surrounded myself with people that were way smarter than me. Um, I knew that I was going completely into it blind and I looked for help wherever I could get it. At the time, um, when we had got back to America, like I said, all we had was, you know, maybe 10 grand in our bank account that we had saved up and the car. (laughs) And uh, we were staying at my uh, in-laws house and they basically let us have a room in their house to get back on our feet. So, you know, I, I, just didn't have any resources. So I asked my father-in-law like, oh, do you know any lawyers that'd be able to take a look at this contract and give me their opinion? And and then even from that, uh, you know, that initial introduction, I was learning things about, you know, what, what does a red line mean? Um, what is net versus gross? Like I seriously had no idea what any of these the you know these terminologies uh what they meant and so it was really like just being dropped in the fire um but yeah i mean you you just kind of pick things up as you go um so that that helped out with that initial contract and then um when we started making money off gog when the game went live uh, i tried to find a like a cpa uh, or an accountant that could give me some advice on, on what to do next because I was like, okay, I've got this money and I've like started this business on um, uh, what's that website? Legal Zoom? Uh, yeah, I did the or, same thing. That's- yeah, or the corporation company. I just like went on there. I was like, here's my 75 bucks and then this portfolio showed up and it's like Night Dive and I'm like, well, I hope I like that name because I'm kind of stuck with it now. <laughs> yeah. So... <laughs> 
so yeah to to kind of sum it up it was like if there's something that you don't know um there's probably somebody in your you know in your group of uh, friends or family that has a connection with somebody that could help you with you know the particular uh deficiency you might be facing so yeah that's that, that's my advice like if you don't know something find somebody smarter than you and, and learn from them as best you can yeah, I mean, that's the main thing is just ask. I mean, that's one thing that I've learned in the last 20 years is that, you know, no matter what you're going through professionally or even personally, the odds are infinitesimally small that you're the only one who's ever gone through that. Mm -hmm. if, if you find yourself in outer space in a rocket and your thrusters aren't working for re-entry, yes, the number of people who have dealt with that emergency are, are very, you know, small. But typical life that we go through and in, in, in business, there's generally somebody else who's gone through it and, and can help you. And all you really have to do is is ask. So, I mean, that's why we have our discord and all sorts of stuff like that too. So, I mean, you can ask. And so if you're out there and you're listening on any of these platforms, uh, if you've got a question for Steven, pop it in chat. We're watching all of them. We know, we know where you are. Um, and we'll get it answered, you know, out here live. So let's talk about remote working because that's obviously a key skill now. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. <laughs> we, we had a developer ask the other day, he said, should I, you know, note when we're talking to publishers that we've got years of experience working remotely? And I was like, if you'd asked me that a month ago, I would have said, no, nobody cares. Now, that's a key, you know, skill to have. That's one less thing a publisher has to worry about is, okay, if we're financing this game, does this team have the tools and the experience to, you know, manage all of this stuff remotely. Night Dive is both a, a developer and a publisher. How do you manage everything going on with 30 some people? It's really challenging um, for a lot of different reasons. And, and we kind of had the advantage of starting small and then gradually building up and figuring out where our weaknesses are uh, working remotely as the teams got bigger and things got more complex. Um, and really, it's just kind of just taking advantage of the tools that are out there now. Um, and we've seen them grow and become more available and more robust over the last seven years. And, you know, now it's a it's a perfect time to run a remote business, not only because of, you know, the <laughs> worldwide pandemic going on, but <laughs> just because it's it's ideal for uh, a startup. Uh, it dramatically reduces your overhead. Um, you don't have to have uh, a building space, a physical location where people have to go every day. Uh, you can work pretty much whenever you want. And for the, you know, the right type of a person, that's, that's a dream. Uh, mostly because a lot of people have kids, you know, myself included now. Uh, I want to spend a lot of time with him. And if I can just hop off my computer and play with him for an hour or two and then come back. Like I, you know, that's perfect for me and it's, and it works out for a lot of others as well. Um, you have to be uh, kind of a self-motivated individual because you aren't going to have a producer kind of walking around 
looking over your shoulder, constantly kind of harassing you, uh, and seeing what you're doing and making sure you're on task. Um, another uh, kind of advantage of all this too is that you, your your pool of uh, candidates and and artists and animators and everybody else is literally the entire world. So you don't have to find somebody that's willing to relocate. Uh, you don't have to find somebody that's already local, hoping that they're going to just gel with your system. You can really, um, you can scour the internet and you can find the exact people that are going to kind of uh, just kind of coalesce into your structure and, and just work. Um, so, so yeah, how do you... Hey, we, we got a question in chat here. Two questions from Scary Robot Games from Twitch. Number one, does Night Dive target specific games and see if they can get the rights for the remake, or do you look for what's available and decide if it's worth pursuing? And question two, can you talk about the evolution of the Kex engine? Um, yeah. Uh, let's see. I, Jay, I know that was one of your questions. Um, no, go ahead. Yeah, this, trust me. There's no real structure in order for the show, <laughs> okay. no matter what it may appear to be. Um, yeah. As for specific games, um, we're definitely a little bit more uh, focused on particular titles now than when we first started. Um, when Night Dive originally started, I just pretty much went after every game that I had played as a kid. Um, it was just, that was my, that was my list. It was like, I want no one this forever. I want bad mojo. I want time lapse. I want, uh, Titanic adventure at a time. I wanted all these kind of weird kind of quirky, uh, adventure games that I had played with my dad because they meant the most to me. Um, but over the years, it's, it's kind of evolved into, um, having to make the decisions based on like sales factors, financial reasons, <laughs> you know, business shit. <laughs> yeah. Um, but luckily a lot of those decisions also kind of aligned with, you know, the games that I played as a kid, sin being one, you know, I've got, uh, four copies of the game. Um, uh, I should have brought those out, but, uh, I got four big box copies. This was something that I've, I've wanted for a really long time. And, uh, we finally acquired it and re-released it. So that's a, that's a, a good example of, um, all right, quick, quick making plug. business sense. Yeah. Where did you where did you release it? What platforms is it on? It's on GOG and Steam right now, and uh, Sin Gold is it's just uh, basically an updated version of the original, um, running on the modified Quake Two engine. This isn't a Kex engine port yet, uh, with some bug fixes, uh, the wages of Sin expansion packs included. Uh, multiplayer works it's just a, a clean version that will run out of the box um, as opposed to kind of the broken hacky mess it was before we got a hold of it so thank you <laughs> and it's on sale got a link to it on GOG as well it's eight dollars anyway go ahead <laughs> the um the second question there the the evolution of the Kex engine has been very interesting. Um, it's also been very challenging in a lot of respects with what we've kind of tasked it to do. Uh, 
we had originally kind of started working on it when we brought on uh, Sam Villarreal, um, who goes by the name uh, Kaiser, on like the Doom forums, that type of thing. And he was working on a reverse engineering project for uh, Turok Dinosaur Hunter at the time when we approached him. And we wanted to bring him on because we, I think at the time, we had got the rights to do a re-release of both 1 and 2. And he had the engine that he was building, and he had some initial work started on the game. And so we brought him on, um, and that whole thing was just built for Turok at the time. Like each, each EX game that he had been kind of working on um, as a hobby up to that point had its own kind of iteration, I want to say, of what that engine would later become. Um, I think that he was doing... Uh, a power slave source port or just a port and then uh i'm not sure if he had started working on doom 64 at that time either but he had a bunch of projects and um when we brought him on uh he basically focused that turok engine ex uh, experiment that he was doing into what it is now it's it's kind of hard to explain but it's it's slowly built up from that first game to Turok 2, uh, to Forsaken, to Doom 64, uh, to, and then to some of the other uh, Kex Engine projects we're working on now. Uh, but with every game that we've built, it's become like more robust and more features and, and um, uh, rendering engines have been implemented as we've gone along. Um, I wanna say, uh, my timing is probably all messed up on this, but at one point we were looking at bringing Turok to Xbox, so we had to probably he's probably cringing right now, but we had to uh, implement OpenGL support um, for one of the platforms, and so yeah, as as we've gone longer and longer working with it, we've had to uh, basically add support for all the platforms that we want to hit. So in that way, it's it's just constantly growing and evolving. Pretty much, I mean, just in, in general terms, like every game engine goes through that. Um, and ours wasn't really any different. So, so where did the name Kex come from? Um, it doesn't really have a very interesting history <laughs> as far as that goes. It's just uh, Sam's work was built off of a, off a existing engine framework name called the ex engine and that didn't really stand for anything and then the k uh is for kaiser so it was kaiser's ex engine so See, that's interesting though <laughs> these random things that you always want to find out well i tried to rename it um and they didn't have that. I wanted to call it uh, the Nautilus engine. I wanted it to be have like a underwater, you know, night dive themed thing. And uh, they said no. And <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes so. in business, that's just how it is. It's not a negotiation. They just yeah. say no. That's well, it. you know, it was Sam's baby, and I, you know, I wanted to. Uh, I wanted to give him at least control over that. And uh, he also kind of art directed the logo too, which was fun. He wanted something very specific and, um, and we got it to kind of work with our brand. I think, yeah, I'm not sure if you can see this. I got the, 
the logo right there. <laughs> Anyways. Well, all right. We got another question in here from Nightwolf. Would Night Dive try to port games to consoles too, or just stay PC? Seeing as to how the original Doom has been heavily modded to be ported to and played on most any console platform, these revived games may do well too. So the question is, uh, would Night Dive try to port to consoles too, or just stay with PC? Uh, we do port to console. So we've got games on Xbox One and Nintendo Switch, and uh, Doom 64, which launched last night, is available on PlayStation. So we do we do all the consoles. It's got everything covered. We got everything. Um, I will say that some of our games haven't made the transition to all the platforms yet, and that's... That's something I hear about quite frequently. Uh, people want to play Turok on PlayStation. I hear that at least once a day. Um, <laughs> we're working on it. That's all I could say about that. So going back to the the remote part, and, and you brought up an interesting point, and this doesn't just count for you know employees. You said you know now all of a sudden your your potential employee pool is global I mean, mm-hmm. the same goes true for any kind of contractor your audio team your, your your writing team your design team your ux specialist whatever it may be how do you go and effectively find people or find teams when you have a pool that big to pull from it's like oh yeah it's awesome but at the same time it's completely overwhelming how how do you go in and are, are there tools that you use or, or what's the strategy when you're trying to fill a role and you literally have the whole world to choose from um the first thing that i do is i just kind of approach our team and i say hey do you guys know anybody do you have any friends uh that can fulfill you know this this role on our team and uh, more often than not you know, if you've been in the industry even for a couple of years, you've got hopefully a, a big network of friends and um, acquaintances that kind of span multiple disciplines. And so, uh, yeah, I just I kind of put out a call to our to our team um, just recently. I won't um, you know use names or anything like that, but just recently we were looking for somebody on System Shock who could create like gore uh gore caps bodies viscera just really you know nasty stuff and uh one of our character artists was like oh yeah i know a guy so we checked out his portfolio and yeah it's just like yeah this is really disgusting let's bring him on (laughs) um (laughs) so yeah, that's that's generally the first step, but if it needs to go beyond that, um we'll put out a uh, you know, a post on our website or on LinkedIn. Um if it's an artist, the first place I'll go is uh ArtStation. Um ArtStation is like a fantastic kind of portfolio website for um artists. Um that at first was more geared towards um people in the film and games industry. Um, and so it's got a really good um, searching system. So if you have like a keyword of something that you're looking for in particular, you can put that in and then bam, there's, you know, 50 portfolios of people that um, that may have kind of the style you're looking for. And a lot of them are freelancers on there. So that's a really good resource. 
You have got to check out our Discord at discord.gg slash business. It's an amazing community of over 3,500 other industry experts. We've got developers, publishers, marketing and PR firms, investors, so, so many, so many. It's safe and supportive place to network and to talk to experts. You can learn more about the business of games or you can share what you know with others. We have exclusive workshops on perfecting your pitch deck, finding a publisher, and more. Remember, it's discord.gg slash indie game business. internally to basically project manage remotely um we use uh jira uh jira is um pretty important in the in the like the scheduling department uh for general communication we use discord um we used to use slack um and I honestly can't remember why we switched to Discord. I think it was because we were all just on Discord anyways when we were playing games. And we're like, well, let's just, you know, why are we using this uh, program that's costing us money when we could just be using this, you know, this thing that we're <laughs> using for free? Um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, we, we did the very same thing. I mean, we used to use Slack internally you know, with all of our clients. And then one you know when Indy finally convinced me that we needed to have a a discord server for the podcast which now has over 900 people on it um you know we started using everything on there and and then the reality is unless you need a lot of the very specific integrations that Slack mm-hmm. has discord does everything you want it to do and and more so we have the the discord server for you know developers and publishers and all sorts of people interested in the business and marketing side of the industry but then yeah we have a couple of private channels that are just for our team that we use so um yeah i'm a i'm a, I'm a big fan of of discord in that light as well um so let's talk about obviously oh. the um we, well, we got one more question from Scary Robot Games, if you want to do that. Um, what are the biggest challenges with the fully remote company and with employees all over the world? How do you schedule meetings and the like? Yeah, that is, that's definitely a challenge. Um, I know, like, one of my very first employees is living in the UK. And, you know, the time difference is pretty dramatic, uh, especially being on the West Coast. And... Uh, I want to say that he basically changed his whole lifestyle so that he could be up during core business hours. Um, and uh, he's just kind of become a machine. I don't think he eats anymore. He just lives and breathes <laughs> uh, night dive stuff. But um, uh, we only try to have one meeting per team per week. And there's two teams. And we just kind of picked a time that worked for everybody. Um, and that's all that we really require um, in terms of them kind of being around. It's just that one meeting uh, once per week. 
and then because again like we've got people in uh new zealand brazil uh the uk uh basically work is around the clock um you know when i go to bed the guys you know on the other side of the world are just getting up um and so that's that's a kind of a cool benefit from this but also you know sometimes we can't get a hold of somebody when we need to and it's because they've been sleeping for eight hours or whatever you know it's <laughs> how dare they i know <laughs> <laughs> so this is with this whole coronavirus and, and conferences shutting down across the 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 world literally there's been a lot of initiatives to get up and, and do indie stuff and you all are hosting an indie game festival that is starting tonight at what is it like six o'clock six p.m yeah yeah so tell us ab about that what's going on who's involved what are we going to see you know who's not sleeping over at night dive because y'all been putting this together and why it's a hell of a lot harder than people think it is <laughs> uh, well i can tell you right away that the moment i kind of just spontaneously put that put it out there on twitter uh larry messaged me and was like you've made a huge mistake Yes. <laughs> so, um, I, <laughs> um, so it just ended up being kind of challenging because uh, we got a lot of people that wanted to be a part of it, and um, you know what? You know what we did is we just started a Discord channel. We just started a brand new channel, and we funneled everybody into there, and. You know, we asked for some specific resources, you know, uh, a, a gameplay video. It's like two to five minutes long, um, some key art, and then just to be around uh, tonight. And we were going to take, take care of everything else. Um, so, it, you know, it wasn't really as hard as, as I'm making it out to be. Um, everybody's been very uh, just eager to be a part of it. And they've, they're, they've been delivering the stuff that we were asking for. Um, I reached out to my buddy, uh, uh, Sir Lar from, he used to be part of the Rooster Teeth Network. Uh, he's going to be hosting the event. Um, and we created like a, a new overlay for, for our Twitch stream. Um, a buddy of mine created like the logo and, and the whole thing kind of just evolved very quickly. Um. And so, yeah, it's actually called the the Independent Game Exposé or IGX. Um, and yeah, it's just like I I don't really know what to expect tonight. I don't know how it's all going to happen, but it'll it'll happen. <laughs> <laughs> so, do uh, you have? I just posted the link in uh, in in our various chats here. It's going to be on the Night Dive Studios Twitch page, right? Yep. Yep. So, who's who's going to be there? How many games are you going to be showing off? Um, at least ten. Um, I'll have to bring up the list here to name them off. Let me see one second. Um, but we also have our friends from uh, New Blood. They're going to be there. They're going to show off their new game called uh, Gloomwood, uh, which is going to be really cool. Uh, Limited Run is going to be there. They're going to make, hopefully, an announcement about a new physical release that they're going to do. Um, 
and then 3D Realms is going to be there as well. And they put together a really cool video of their studio. And um, that's actually going to include some never before seen footage from some games that uh, were canceled uh, back in like the late 90s. Like, so that's your like type game. Kind of, yeah. I, I won't I won't say what that is yet. Um uh but that should be really fun to see. Um we're gonna kind of just go over what we've been up to lately, because uh, there's a lot of stuff. Uh we made a lot of announcements in this week. Um and then yeah, we've got like ten indie games. We've got um uh Battle Rockets uh, Fist of the Forgotten, Gloomwood, like I said, Melon Journey 2, uh, Plunge, uh, Son of Ra, uh, Triple Troubles, um, Turnip Boy Commits Tax Evasion. There's, <laughs> there's some, some really unique games that we're going to show tonight, so yeah, I'm really excited. <laughs> oh. <laughs> And, and we can out somebody, you know, in the audience here. Triple Troubles is from our own uh, Scary Robot Games. That's right. Yeah. Hosting a few a little while ago. And we need to get him on to explain how an complete indie studio managed to land the IP for a Star Trek creature. So um, that's awesome. But, yeah, so that's going to be tonight. We will um, we will host that here on indie game business as well oh thank you well you know you're, you're on the you're starting late for me it's assuming i i managed to stay awake and, and we get it on there but i should be up um so i mean is night dot you're doing this i'm going to put you on the spot now sure. you're doing this stuff for indie teams you mm-hmm. obviously got a publishing network uh you know how to market games you understand how to port them and localize them are you going to be publishing any indie games soon um, that wasn't really the plan with this. Um, my uh, kind of my first reaction was, "Wow, it'd be great if a lot of these indies just had the opportunity to show their thing off." Now that GDC is, you know, canceled, um, we should use some of our resources to help them do that. So that was that was uh, kind of the only thing that that motivated this, but. Um, yeah, I mean, well, if if there's something of interest that kind of fits our our you know our retro kind of lineup, um, we'd definitely be open to it. There's plenty of companies out there. I can tell you that much. Uh, mm-hmm. Hold on. So I had a question there in um, in chat, but Indy's on top of that one. Um, and now I just completely lost my train of thought because I'm sitting here thinking about, you know, publishing indie games. Oh, sorry, GDC. So it's not canceled anymore. Apparently, they are going to put it on in a three-day event two weeks before Gamescom for some reason that I don't understand. In August, right? Yes. Yeah. All right. <laughs> so now basically the wor- – I mean, so let's run with the assumption that – Global travel is going to be working again by August, which yeah. it, you know we hope it is, but by no means is a certainty. I mean, you're you're a publisher, you're a developer. Where do you spend your travel money? Do you go to GDC? Do you go to Gamescom? You know, I personally I've never been to Gamescom, uh, awesome. but I would love to go. Yeah, uh, but you know, for us. 
I think we're just going to have to take a look at the state of some of our projects in order, you know, to see if it'd be worth either going to show the game or just to meet potential partners. And um, I don't know. I think we're going to be kind of at a point um, in development with uh, with System Shock where um, hopefully it's going to be wrapping up around then. So we don't want to kind of spread ourselves too thin by uh, maybe going to events and we just stay home and just focus on getting the thing done. Um, so I don't know. GDC is our big thing every year. We've done it, you know, I've gone probably every year for like the last seven or eight years in a row. Um, we rescheduled pretty much all of our meetings on Discord. Like we've had all of our meetings this week. So I, there, there's not really a point to, for us to, to attend in August. And I, and I think that's a lot of a lot of what we see. I mean, like it or not, Gamescom is a much bigger show than, than GDC. Yeah, GDC is very centered at at developers. It, it's not a show that you go to to you know show a game to the consumers. Mm -hmm. It's there are marketing people there, but you know you you judge a show at the end of the day by who's on the show floor, and the show floor at GDC is overwhelmingly tech companies with tools and SDKs and that sort of stuff that want to sell something to developers and mm -hmm. publishers. Gamescom's one, you're talking 300,000 people, I think 350,000 people last year. It's consumers and business. And so it's a, uh, it's just a much more complete show. And, and, and that's the, the concern. I mean, I'm on the East Coast, so it's roughly the same amount of time travel-wise for me to go to San Francisco as it is to go to Cologne. Mm -hmm. But Cologne's cheaper, and there are a lot more options there, and and that's the that's the big thing to me. And this is assuming that one we we are traveling again at that point in time. Um, yeah, I don't want to you know be doom and gloom, but just the way. I mean, yeah. that's the reality of it. I mean, and so, so yeah. we did our virtual event this week, and we had five days of, of you know, one-on-one -on -one video call business meetings, and a lot of people heard about these virtual events for the first time last week, two weeks ago, and we've been mm -hmm. doing them for a year. So this would have, would have been our fourth one. We ended up with like over seven hundred companies, you know, participating in it. And we had only planned to do one more this year. Now we're going to be doing more of them. And we've had multiple calls from companies who are like, will you run one for us for you know specific reasons? So um, I think it's, you know, all of this has cast a very focused spotlight on the fact that you don't necessarily have to go to all of these shows. and there's going to be some shows that don't exist after this. That's just the reality of it. There's so many conferences in this industry and so many of them, you know, they make all their money in one month and then they have to make that last for 11 more months. And now we just don't know that it's going to happen. So it's really been trending that way too, like over the last couple of years, um, especially with, you know, Nintendo and Sony pulling out of E3, just as an example, uh, Nintendo does their own direct to 
consumer kind of shows, you know, Nintendo Direct, which they do um, a couple times a year. And, you know, Sony just recently, a couple days ago, they did a, that video of uh, uh, revealing the PlayStation 5 specs. And, you know, they didn't have to send a whole team of people to San Francisco or or wherever. Um, they didn't have to get the stage set up. They didn't have to do all this extra stuff. They just pointed their camera at their own space, um, said what they wanted to say, and then that, uh, said what they wanted to say, and then and then that was it. Um, so, it just the effectiveness I think is just is so much stronger than an event like GDC or E3 or or even Gamescom at this point. Um, so I don't know. I think that we're going to see a lot of companies probably start trending that way and avoiding the the expos altogether in the future, regardless of you know pandemics. <laughs> I think one of the things that one of the classes of shows that will survive this is going to be PAX and Gamescom as a result as well, because I mean, I'm betting 200,000 of those 300,000 people at Gamescom are there for the consumer side. Yeah. And if you've never been to Gamescom, it, I'm trying to put this in perspective, take a hall the size of, of South or East hall over at E3 stack it on itself and that's roughly the size of the business part of the industry I mean, of, of the show and mm -hmm. it's completely separated from the consumer side and it's no you know no big booths and and thumping base systems it's it's basically big cubes you know people are quietly walking around doing mm -hmm. business and then you take that hall replicate it i think six or seven times with a top level and a lower level and that's the consumer side and that's where the indie games are they have one whole you know building that is nothing but merch i mean nothing but you know the stuff from every game you could possibly think of and entire gigantic buildings that are set aside for blizzards esports competitions it's a it, it, it's like a giant packs with a business side <laughs> over to the end. But even the business side is bigger than most, you know, industries that we see. So it's, we on the business end are always going to have ways of communicating because let's face it, we communicate 12 months out of the year without having to go and, you know, we're, we're not selling medical supplies. We don't get in the car and go from publisher to publisher anymore. Mm -hmm. And, and pitch these things, but the the consumer side it's hard to replicate. You know, it, it is. Yeah, we can do online festivals and and streams and you know all kinds of things like that. But it's not the same as when you go and you're in this area with thousands of other people who are just as passionate as you are. And especially yeah. at Gamescom, they all come in cosplay. I mean, it's amazing to watch intimidating in some ways but you know it's i think at the end of the day you know once this pandemic is is dealt with 
those types of students, those types of conferences will, will be okay. Yeah. You know. Yeah. But it's the ones that are on the small to medium size on the business end that I think are, are, are going to be in trouble. Yeah, I you know, I got a lot of respect for um like my my friends that run booths at like packs, like the various packs events, um, South by Southwest, stuff like that. Um, it's a lot of work. And in terms of like what your return is on that, you know, interfacing directly with the consumer, I don't know. Um, I did PAX once um, as just somebody helping somebody else run a booth. And it was like the most amount of work I've ever done in three days. And I don't think I'll ever do it again. Like it just, it just took it out of me. I remember, um, <laughs> uh, we met, uh, we met some people there. Uh, this is God, what year was this? 2013 maybe. And PAX prime takes place like right on my birthday. And this was an indie game that I was working on at the time because uh, I don't believe System Shock had kind of worked out yet. Maybe it was like right on the cusp of that. So I was also doing some freelance work and I was spending my birthday up there. And I remember just casually saying that to somebody who was trying the game. They're like, oh, you know, are you having fun? I'm like, yeah, it's my birthday. You know, I kind of wish that I was having a cold beer with some friends. And at the end of the show, they came back to the booth with a birthday cake for me, these complete strangers. And um, I just remember being so exhausted and so tired at the end of it. I just like broke down crying. I was like, uh, I can't, you know, this is too much for me. But yeah, so that's my PAX, my PAX Prime story. <laughs> uh, well, that's a good one, though. That's a good one. Yeah. I, I mean, I had the very, the first time I went to E3, and this was like when it was in Atlanta. I had the same thing happen. I was completely, I was straight out of college. You cried? I, yeah, I, <laughs> I was straight out of college, twenty one years old, and you know my bosses basically hand me this giant stack of of three ring binders, and it it had all the meeting notes and all the meeting tips for all of our clients. I had never met any of these clients. You know, I'm still I'm coming into this industry still starstruck. I mean, we were working with Douglas Adams on a game for Starship Titanic. So I mean, Douglas Adams was one of the people I had to go find. Oh, we published that. Yeah, That's and funny. We, you know, <laughs> they just basically we get to the Atlanta Convention Center and they're like, here. Here's a whole bunch of binders. Go find our clients and give it to them. And, and I went down the escalator, and then I look at this just gigantic room full of booths, and and I was just like, it was the same. It was just overwhelming. I was like, I don't know where the fuck I'm even going to start. You know, it's just I I am totally out of my league at this. But you know, by the end of it, I you 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 have to learn. It's like you said, it's trial by fire. I'm going to throw you in the water hope you swim you know kind of thing but if it's your first event like this it is it's absolutely overwhelming and i go mm -hmm. to conferences in other industries it's like the licensing show in vegas it's it's basically the gamescom the e3 the gdc of licensing you can walk into that um 
into that convention center. And if you want to have a, a, a night dive coffee mug, you can find somebody to do it. If you want to have a night dive custom walking stick, you can, I mean, whatever you could possibly want, somebody is in there that can make it for you. And it's calm and you can walk down the aisles and you're not like body to body. And I literally walked in the first time and I started looking around. I'm like, it, is it not open yet? I don't mm -hmm. understand where all the people are, but that's just the way it is. And that's the way a lot of normal conferences are. Our conferences aren't like that. You know, they are, if you've never done one, they are extremely intimidating and, and overwhelming the first time you walk into them. So, yeah. and putting those booths together, you're right. It's, it's absolutely daunting. Yeah, it's like, uh, and you better believe that the emphasis on on personal hygiene moving <laughs> forward is going to be totally different than it was in the past. Because do you? Uh, I don't think it'll change. Oh God! I, I, don't, well, I don't think it'll change. Every time I've gone to PAX, I've gotten the plague. It's just like there's nothing you can do about it. You just but, get it. But that's the way it is with every conference. I got you know we call it we call it con crud, and yeah. I used to get it all the time until my wife absolutely made me start taking emergency those little orange packets before we like went. a week before you go yeah you basically start taking them a week before you go and you don't stop taking them until two or three days after you get back and you you know i would drink two or three bottles of water with this stuff a day in it mm -hmm. you know but and and i didn't i haven't gotten sick at a conference since i've started doing that but yeah i mean they're you're flying on a giant petri dish for six hours and and then you you land and you're in public spaces surrounded by people for eight hours a day for five days straight there's no way you're not going to get sick mm -hmm. it's just absolutely the odds are not remotely in your favor i mean maybe uh, the the n95 masks will come into high fashion and we'll all just be wearing those all the time i you know <laughs> if it works it works yeah uh, uh somebody asked a minute ago how do you get involved in these indie festivals like you all are having the reality is given what's happened with GDC and what's happened with all these other conferences, there are a lot of them popping up. And I'll go ahead and tell you, there's like no one place you can go to and apply. You just have to absolutely keep your, you know, eyes and ears open, be active on Twitter and discord and make yourself known that you want to be in one. When you hear somebody's having one, reach out to them politely, say, Hey, look, here's our game. Uh, you know, would you consider having us in it and, and and just talk to them? There's so much stuff is happening behind the scenes right now to try to, you know, help companies that were, you know, lost opportunities and, and a lot of the different stuff that's happened, you know, since we don't have GDC now and we're not going to have E3 and we're not going to have, you know, a, a dozen or two other conferences. But there's not like a a systematic page you can go to as a hey, look, I want to apply to all of these different indie things. There's a lot of people doing them, so just you know keep your eyes and ears open and reach out to somebody when you when you see one happening. But speaking of that, if you have a game that uh, you want some brutal feedback on, 
talk to Jay in the Discord and we'll do it. We'll give you some brutal feedback on your game live right here on the show. <laughs> brutal. You know, we'll be honest. We're not going to sugarcoat anything. We'll just tell you, you know, exactly the uh, our perspective. We have no problem telling you that your baby is ugly. That's the, uh, <laughs> that's the reality uh, of it. Yeah, to your to your point on the on the festival stuff, like it was totally spontaneous. Larry will tell you, ill advised, but I just put it out there on Twitter and it's like, hey, who would be interested? In this? And like the first ten people that sent me their thing, I was like, you're in. And then I closed it because I was like, I, you know, <laughs> this, there's way too many people. Um, well, that's a lot of that's to... a lot of games. You'll be there for at least five hours, right? No, I mean we're we're only gonna do like maybe uh like five to ten minutes per game. Um so it's, ah, then it's you can do a lot more games, Stephen. Hold on, we'll send you a list of, of things yeah. that should be good. <laughs> well, so this this is supposed to be small, so yeah. So I can tell you one thing that we're going to be doing, you know, shortly, as soon as I have time to recoup next week. Uh, our primary platform is Mixer. You know, we're on Twitch and YouTube and uh, Facebook and LinkedIn, but, you know, our primary platform is Mixer. Uh, and Mixer has auto-hosting now. So we are finally going to be able to build our indie developer team. So if you if you are an indie developer and you frequently stream your titles, we're not looking for, you know, normal streamers here. If you are streaming your titles, if you are streaming you coding, you know, anything along the lines of indie development from indie studios who want to share knowledge, share what they're doing, uh, send me a message on our Discord. We will get you added to the team. And, you know, the only requirements is that one, you're an indie developer or a developer at all. I'm not going to try to classify what the word indie means, but a developer and, you know, you you do need to auto host the other people in the group. That's all we're going to do. So we can try to keep a lot of this knowledge circulating as much of the day as possible. It's pretty cool. Yeah, we uh, we we saw a lot of success actually when we were streaming uh, just development of System Shock. We had um, some of our our level designer on there designing. We had an artist on there building props and. Um, yeah, I'm not sure if that exactly falls into what you're talking about. No, but, yeah, that's exactly what yeah. we want. You know, that absolutely it it doesn't necessarily need to be you know teams playing their own game that's what we want people you know this is us coding this is you know how we attack you know animations in a certain situation this is level design this is all of that sort of stuff that's exactly what we want cool um do you guys have any other questions no i mean i think that's andy no no we no there's no more questions no more questions from the chat so thank you, Stephen, for coming by. It's awesome. We're looking forward. We're going to, you know, grab Sin tonight and give that a play. Good luck with the Indie Festival. We'll help you do some promotion on that as well. Yeah, thank and, you. Yeah. Oh, we got one question real quick if you want to oh. answer it real quick. Uh, do you have any advice for managing a remote team as a producer? We did talk a little bit about that earlier. Um, so you might want to go back and either listen to no, I think they got here late. Yeah. I saw them comment that they got there late. Yeah, ah. it's covered. If you go and 
just circle back on the <laughs> saw that next question come in um circle back it, it is earlier in there cash settle uh yeah steven that's a good question any games aside from no one lives forever that you haven't been able to get yet <laughs> no one lives forever too <laughs> if you so for those of you who don't know before we go away here um google there is a story that uh was written a couple years ago about no one lives forever and the right situation around that i think it was pc gamer that did it um google that story kotaku i think was it I, yeah yeah so I, the the sad story about a game that will never come back or something like that is the yes, title exactly yeah you know more than likely gone forever but yeah google that story because it, it, it the the reasoning and the situation is outlined there so uh yeah man with that you wanna... chasm the rift though is my real answer i i'd love to bring <laughs> that's the real uh, answer Cap yeah, Chasm the Rift. I think it's one that uh, I know who owns it, and it's just been really difficult to uh, to get in contact with them. So, but that's a that's a fantastic one. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Jay. Yeah. Thanks, thank Dan. you. Uh, make sure thank and uh, tune in to Anchor.fm slash Indie Game Business. You can get us on Discord. Discord.gg slash Indie Game. You know, just search Indie Game Business, and you'll find all the stuff. <laughs> that's. Yeah, thank you guys so much, and we'll be back. Are we coming back Wednesday, Jay? We got what do we yes. got Wednesday? Wednesday, and we'll be I have here. No idea. You ask me this every episode. I know. Like, I, I, I like to put you on the spot. Okay, we may or may uh, not actually, be back we Wednesday. May not be back. We may not be back on Wednesday. Maybe next Friday. Okay, next Friday. We'll, All right, we'll be back. Thanks, everybody. Let's leave it at that. Thanks, Stephen. Yeah, thank you guys. All right, take care. Thanks for listening to Indie Game Business. You can learn more about the show and our online business networking events at indiegame.business.